boys and girls to Junior Church and to the boys' class. If you guys uh, are going to that, you are dismissed for that. I stand. I, I usually stand up here or sit up here uh, for two main reasons. Number one, it's a shorter walk um, to get up here. But number two is because I don't have to stand next to anybody when I'm singing so I don't ruin anyone's life. And then David comes, who's always singing, and he stands right next to me on a song that I like to sing. So I kind of had to, like, he's sitting here, and I kind of had to, like, go like this so I can sing this way so I didn't mess him up, and then he wouldn't be my friend anymore um, after hearing me sing. People won't, don't want to be my friend anymore after hearing me sing. My wife, do, my wife doesn't even want to be married to me after I sing, and that's kind of true um, just a little bit. Well, I'm so thankful you're here. We have a lot of guests with us today, and that is wonderful. I don't believe anything's a coincidence. I believe that God brought you here for today, and I and I and I am so thankful when God does that. I firmly believe in Jesus when He said, "I will build my church." I don't believe in having to cleverly market anything or to try to convince people to come in or try to, um, you know, be cute like marketing CEOs and things of that nature. I believe God will bring whoever God will bring. And we'll be happy with whomever God brings. And so God brought you today, and I'm thankful for that, and I, and I praise God for that. We have a special service today. It's the Lord's Supper, and um, I, I want to say a couple things about it, and the entire service will be geared towards that. Um, if you're not sure what the Lord's Supper is, a communion, we're glad you're here. Don't feel pressured. You don't have to take anything. You just can observe with us. You can listen. You can hear. You can see what's all going on, and uh, that would be a great, great thing for you to be able to do it. Um, we're doing it kind of jointly under the authority of New Hope Baptist Church and also with New Village Church. And so usually at New Hope Baptist Church, uh, we're just giving it to our members. And so that's who, that's who we're normally used to giving it to. And uh, people who have been saved and baptized and added to the church and New Village uh, in a similar fashion gives it. Um, there will be an examination time of your own heart later on. And uh, you, between you and the Lord, you decide um, if you're going to be partaking of the elements that are here. Um, and if you don't take it, it doesn't mean anything to anybody else. That's between you and the Lord. I want to say a couple things about it before we get into the preaching. Um, they'll be, actually, these are like COVID cups, so it's kind of a little wonky if you're not used to that. There's juice on the bottom, and then there's a cracker on top, all in one open self-serve little container. Uh, make it convenient for you. Uh, I think they're left over from when uh, everything was on shutdown, but... Um, Normally, the elements are simply an unleavened bread cracker. And the reason why unleavened bread is because it represents Jesus' body that was broken on our behalf. And, and leaven in the Bible is a representation of sin. And, of course, in Jesus, there was no sin. And, and I want to say this, too, up front. These things do not get you into heaven. They do not get you closer to heaven. They did not make you into a special relationship with God. And so if you don't take them, it doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Matter of fact, I would... I would encourage you, if you're not sure what's going on, if you're not sure you should take it, then don't. Just, just observe it and everything else we're doing. Um, it does not get you into heaven any, any which way. But the, the unleavened bread represents Jesus' body that was broken. And no doubt on the cross, uh, he went through torture and suffering for our sin. And the grape juice, again, um, the reason that we use grape juice is because it is the purest of the fruit of the vine, if you will, without any fermentation or decay in it, and that represents Jesus' blood that was shed on our behalf. And so in taking these things, Jesus, on the night before he died, said, do this in remembrance of me. And so like we would have a memorial for 9-11 or a memorial for somebody who has died, um, this is sort of that reason. We have a memorial of his death. 
Now, every Sunday, if some people ask, why do we have church on Sunday? One reason we have church on Sunday is the memorial and remembrance of Jesus' resurrection. And he rose again on the first day, and that's kind of one of the reasons why. Um, but this is a specific remembrance of why he died. And so I'm just letting you know about what all that means, and I'll say more about it later. And again, if you're new to this, if you're not sure, if you're uh, unaware, then we're glad you're here, and you just kind of observe, take what's going in. I promise you it'll be a blessing. God will speak to you whether or not the elements are taking. And it's just an ordinance. It's just a memorial. It, again, is not a sacrament. A sacrament is a means of grace. It's by taking this, you get the grace of God. This is, there's no sacramental means. This does not become the body of Jesus or become the blood of Jesus. It is not the body of Jesus. It is not the blood of Jesus. They're purely representative of his body and blood. Okay? That was all the theology in a nutshell on the communion, Lord's Supper, and all of that. Um, if you have your Bibles today, I mainly want you to open up to Matthew chapter number 27. But also, you can open up to, I mean, I'm going to start with Colossians 2, but Matthew 27 is the main passage that we want to get to. I, me personally, I love to, when we do communion, to have the entire service to be about what it's about, to be about what Jesus did for us. And so, not just as a, 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 an observance that we do, but the entire thing. And so, this entire service, I want you to be between you and the Lord in communion with God in your heart. And I want you to be thinking about some things. I want you to be thinking about your sin, as ugly as that may be. I want you to think about your stance before the Lord. If you die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? I want you to think about if you are saved, if you are born again, are you living for Christ? Are you, are you living with communion with God, fellowship on a daily basis? Or is there sin between you and Him right now? Not that would keep you out of heaven because you're saved, but that would keep fellowship between you and the Lord. And if you, everything else is, all things being equal, everything else is going well, and, and you are communing with God, and you're saved, and you know you're going to heaven, and there's no open sin that you can think of, I want you really to focus on what Jesus did and the why he did it. And that means we've got to talk about some ugly things first. Because you'll never understand, I want you to understand this, you'll never understand Christ's love effectively until you first understand how unlovable you are. You have to understand and I have to understand the grotesque nature of our sin before the Lord and then understand that He loved us anyway. For that love to be something other than cheap love. So we have to get ugly before we can get pretty. And really the prettiness is not about us, it's about the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then uh, we'll get into some of these things this morning. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I know that I'm praying as a sinner before you, Lord, whose, whose sins I could not account for. Lord, I could not stand in your presence and give an account for my sin. I'd be declared guilty, 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 guilty. Lord, I stand before you forgiven. I stand before you in grace. I stand before you in mercy because of your love and because of Jesus who died for my sins. 
And Lord, I pray now as I preach that I would not do you any dishonor. I pray, Father, that you would use and anoint this time. I pray, Father, that you would use the words of Scripture, the inerrant, perfect, infallible Word of God, to reach down into our souls, into our hearts, and speak to us in a very clear and direct way. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have full reign and presence here, Lord, to draw us near to you, to help us remember you, Lord, to save those that need to be saved. And Father, may this bring you honor and glory from us sinful people on earth who have gathered together in a church, Lord, us sinful people, we desire to bring you glory. And so we ask that you would help us to be able to do that through the ministry of reconciliation that you've brought through your shed blood and broken body and through the Holy Spirit's power. And Lord, we pray now for an anointing in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. In a court of law, at the end of the trial, the defendant stands and the jury reads out the accusations or the crime against them. And then on all accounts, the, uh, the, the person speaking will say either guilty or not guilty. Now you and I have a specific sin list. You and I have a list that is against us, has a list of our sins. I don't care about, oh, we're all sinners. Yes, we all are. But I want you to think about your sin and what your sin list looks like. I would dare say that if we were to list out your sins in a Word document, and if we were to list out my sins in a Word document, it may very well fill up 500 gigabytes of storage and more. And I'm not trying to be cute or clever. I'm meaning that. I mean every thought you've ever had that's in violation of God, every word you ever spoke that was proud, that was rude, that was unnecessarily critical, that was profane, or was vile, every thought you've ever had that was against the nature of Christ, everything you've ever done that would be sinful and trespassing and, and, and vile and, and horrible, every single thing, we do it on a multiple, on a day-by-day basis multiple times. A, lo- a list that would, would, dare say, might wrap around the world. And no doubt you have sins that you're sick of in your own life that you can think back of and say, man, I'm sure glad no one knows about that. I'm sure glad no one knows I thought that. I'm sure glad no one knows I did that. I'm sure glad no one knows that I spoke that. But I want you to know, God knows. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, I want to read this verse to you. The Bible says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. We're told there in the book of Revelation that every man will stand before God. This is the great white throne judgment. But every man that is, is, is in the context of this verse will stand and give account for every single thing according to the works. Every single sin, they will be judged before the Lord. He knows it all. And that list will come, and as long as the list is, it will come back. And on every account, those who stand before God at the great white throne judgment, those that stand there and look at that list, and they go through it, and on every account, there's going to be guilty, 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 guilty. There won't be a single person at the great white throne judgment that will be declared innocent. Every single thought, action, moment, idle moment, wandering eye, selfish motive, greed, anger, lust, every single gossiping story, every judgmental, condemning thought you've ever had, all of them before the Lord, guilty, guilty, guilty. And the Bible goes on to say that right at the end of that, that, and these were not found written in the book of life, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life 
was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. You and I and everybody in this world has a sin problem. We sin on a multiple, multiple times basis every single day, and even one sin makes us guilty of hell. And every day we live, the guilt mounting against us grows larger and larger and are larger and larger. And our eternal destination grows closer and closer and closer and closer. Then one day, Jesus comes in and takes that list of crimes. Now, if you've been saved, I'm talking to you now. I want to tell you this. If you've never been born again, if you've never called on Jesus as your Savior, I want you to understand that the list of sins against you, guilty, 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 all stands before God. And there's no escape. There's no way to avoid that judgment in your own power or when you get to the great white throne judgment. But for you and I who have been born again, for you and I that have been saved, for you and I that have called on Jesus to save them, I want to read to you a verse that was spoken by David just a little while ago. One day, you and I who were saved, Jesus came and took that hard drive, came and took that list of sins against us, came and took that judgment. I want to read to you what it says. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. And I love how the King James says it here. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Took that list that was against us and started blotting it out. Started smearing it out. Started putting ink all over it. Crossing it out. I remember when we were teenagers, if we'd write letters to each other and we didn't want anybody to read. You'd go this way with the marker, and then you go this way with the marker, and then you go this way with the marker, and then you go this way with the marker. Because if you just went this way, somebody will try to look through and, oh, I know what he said. We try to blot it all out so nobody can see it. And the Bible here tells us, Paul tells us, that Jesus, when you got saved, he took that list and he started blotting out every ordinance that was written against you, every single thing that you stood would stand before God in guilt. He took every list, every accusation of the devil, every single sin you ever done, all of our guilt, the sentence of the lake of fire, he took it out of the way. Look at the next part of the verse, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. You first have to understand that there was a handwriting of ordinance against you. There was a long list with your specific sins on it, written before God. And then one day when you called on God to save you, whosoever is called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you called on God to save you, he took that list and he blotted it out and he nailed it to the cross. And he says it does not exist anymore. It does not exist. The blood that he shed was spilt on it. And there's not a one. He's the judge. There's not a one that can bring accusation and say, but what about? He say, what accusation? And friend, like I said earlier, if you're here today and you're not sure you're going to heaven when you die, I want you to understand Jesus stands before you today offering you up his blood to blot out the transgressions that were against you. If you sit here today and you say, man, my sins are long and I don't know if I'm going to get into heaven and, and I've never been born again, I've never been saved, I want you to understand that Jesus stands here today in your heart and invites you and says, I will take the handwriting of ordinances that were against you and I will blot them and I will nail them to the cross. That's the reason I came. You can be born again today. But Jesus took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. I love that the Bible says that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. 
And I want you to take a mindedness of what that even means. That's not like saying, let me put my sins over in America in the West and I'll put the other set over there in the East and I'll separate them as far as the East is from the West. No, you've got to understand something. The Bible says that the earth is a circle. And if you were to take a globe and you were to head East on a globe, right? You were to head East on a globe. You tell me when you start heading West. And the answer is never. You start heading West on a globe, you'll never head East. You'll always be heading West. If you head east, you're always heading east. If you're heading west, you're always heading west. That's the concept that when he took our sins out of the way and he separated far as the east is from the west, it means they would never meet again. The Bible also says that he remembers our iniquities no more. I love the fact that the infinite God in heaven who knows everything has chosen to remember my sins no more because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of the broken body. If you're born again, if you're saved, he took your sins, the ones you don't want anyone to know about, the ones that made you guilty before God, and he took them out of the way, and he remembers them no more. Satan surely remembers them. The people we sin against surely remember them. We remember them. But the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more. And that is the message of the cross, that we're no longer guilty. Our guilt has become Christ's guilt. And they have become his sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. We've been set free. His righteousness in my account, my sin in his account. My guilt and my sin is no longer on my account before the Lord. It's in his. And when God the Father sees me, he sees me clothed in righteousness of Christ. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of salvation. That's why we remember what Christ has done. I stand to you here today not worthy, far from it, not qualified, far from it, not a good person before God, far from it. But I stand to you today forgiven by Almighty Jesus Christ and His blood and broken body on my behalf. And that's why we remember what Jesus did. Now in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 the bible says this he died for christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures if i were to ask you what's the most important word in that series of words on those verses he died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures that's first corinthians 3 and 4 i believe a lot of people might say died. A lot of people might say um, resurrected. A lot of people might say scriptures. I'm going to tell you right now what is the most important word there, and it's probably one of the most insignificant words in there, but it's the most important one, and it's the word for. Why for? Because he died, what? For my sins. Substitutionary atonement. He died in my place for my sins. See, if Jesus Christ was overcome by enemies and he was slaughtered, we might remember him and say, man, he was a good man who died for a good cause and he was a good teacher. It might be thinking of like Gandhi. You might be thinking of like or George Washington or some other kind of historical figure that we said, man, he died for a cause. He died, on, he died for, the, for what he believed in. But that is not why Christ died. Christ willingly came to earth to purposely die for my sins and for your sins. So he was not overtaken by an enemy. He voluntarily left it, led his life there for us. I love what the Bible says in, first, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that, that God 
demonstrated. That's where the word commendeth means. Demonstrated his love toward us that even though while we're yet sinners, he looks at that list and says, man, guilty, 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 guilty. Man, that's vile. Man, that's so against my holiness. Man, that's so against everything that I am. But died. God commended his love. He said, I want to demonstrate my love for them. As vile and as wicked as they are, I love them so much that I will die for them. And if you've never been born again, I want you to understand this. Jesus knows everything about you. Everything you hide, everything you're ashamed of, everything in your present, everything in your past, and everything that you've yet to do that would be a violation of God. And let me tell you a little secret. He loves you anyway. And he doesn't just love you as in be my valentine. He loves you in that he voluntarily left his throne in heaven, the king of kings, and laid down his life for your sins and for my sins. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You might feel, I'm without hope, I've done too many bad things. You're not without hope. Christ stands before you and says, I died for that very thing. Just come to me and trust me. And you and I who have post-cross means we already got saved by the cross, by the broken body and by the shed blood of Christ and by what he did for my sins and faith in that alone. Faith and trust in Christ alone. We look back and say, there is nothing that I want to remember more than that. There's nothing that drives me to want to serve him more. There's nothing that makes me want to live a dedicated whole life for him than what he did for me. It's when churches get all out of whack where they start thinking that they're valuable and they start thinking how wonderful we are and, and man, we're just a bunch of great Christians and we're just great people and everybody else out there is the enemy. No, you and I were the enemy. And he died for us. And the only difference between us and the world is that we've been forgiven and they've not yet been forgiven. We're no less of sinners than they are. But Christ died for that very purpose for our sins and so i said earlier you have to really think about your sin if you're going to get what christ how how much is comprehensible as much as we can try to comprehend in our, in our human finite mind the fact that you have to understand how vile your sin is to then begin to scratch the surface of how much his love is See, if you think you deserve here then his love is cheap well, of course I deserve to be here because I'm a good person and those people aren't. Then why'd he die? If you're so good and you get to heaven, then why'd he die? If you were mostly good, man, he, he went through a lot to pay for just a little bit of things you messed up. No, no, no. We are far worse than that. We don't like to admit it, but we are far worse than that, my friends. You think of all the great people in the Bible and you think about all the great sins of those great people in the Bible and how God used them. Murderers like Moses, like Paul, adulterers like David, people like Samson, people who failed God and got back up, foreign enemies who hated God, pagans like Abraham, people who lied like Abraham. And the people God used were vile sinners who got saved, God changed their lives. So we come to Matthew chapter 27. You said, that wasn't it? Nope, that wasn't it. 
Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do you think when we remember what Jesus did for us, th- think, of, think of what it cost him. And I'm, I'm going to go what it cost him. Now, it's not going to be pretty. And I want to use your most vivid imagination today. Because as vivid as an imagination as you could portray, as much as Hollywood might try to put special effects as like in the Passion of the Christ, I want to promise you, your vivid imagination and Hollywood could never even do justice to just how torturous the cross was for Jesus Christ. But he says, do this in remembrance of me. I don't think he would want us to just go, oh yeah, remember that, okay, let's move on. I think it's time we sat, and we contemplated, and we thought through, first my sin, but then what he did for my sin. And can I also tell you this? He didn't have to. God the Father did not have to send God the Son. He chose to. Matter of fact, I said this a few weeks ago. The minute, I mean, God knew that the minute he created man, it would eventually cause the death of his son and would cause the separation while on the cross. And he still created us. It didn't occur to God later on, man, I created these people. Now my dad, my son's going to die. He's infinite in wisdom and knowledge from eternity past. And the Bible says that Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. God knew what would happen. And he chose to create us anyway. And he chose to love the vile person we are. I love the, the hymn. And the modern lyrics of the hymn have been changed. The modern hymn says, Died for a sinner as I, but the first writing of it says died for a worm such as I. And worm does better because it's uglier than just sinner, yeah, yeah, sinner. No, a worm such as I. So we come to Matthew chapter 27. You can cast your eyes down to verse number 22. Bible says, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Jesus had been arrested. He'd been betrayed by Judas, one of the ones that had walked with him for three and a half years in his public ministry, one of the ones that had seen the miracles, one of the ones that had seen Peter walk on water, had just recently seen Lazarus raised from the dead, had seen the the blind being given sight and the lame walking again and the deaf to hear. He knew the words of Jesus and yet betrayed Christ. And now Jesus in the early morning hours of this day that he knew was coming since before eternity. He knew this day was coming, and now it actually came. And he's been arrested, and he's been given over to the governor of that region of Rome, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And I love love how people blame Pontius Pilate like it was his fault. Now, it is his fault, but let me say something. Oh, man, Pilate did wrong, and I can't believe this, and and they blame him. A lot of people blame the Jews. Oh, they yelled, crucify him, and we'll see that. But my friend, you cannot escape the very nature of who it is to blame, and that is you and I. It is our sin. It was not Pontius Pilate, because if it wasn't Pontius Pilate, it would have been someone else. And it wasn't the Jews, because if it wasn't the Jews, it would have been someone else. And they, he came into his own, and his own received him not. But to the many as received him, to them became the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It was your sin and my sin that nailed him to the cross. But here he is, standing before Pilate. What shall I do then with, that, with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they say all unto him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent 
of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. See, what happened was um, Jesus was, was condemned by the temple crowd, by the, by, the, by the temple jury, if you will. They, they convicted him of blasphemy, and they said, put him to death. And, and since we don't do capital punishment, Rome, you must put him to death. And Pilate said, I, I don't really want to put him to death. And, and Pilate was trying to get, figure out a way to get out of it. And he remembered there was a tradition that during the Passover, one of the prisoners could be released as a show of the mercy of Passover. And so what, what he did was, Pilate did, is he went into the prison and found the most vile of people there, a murderer and an insurrectionist, someone who would cause riots and kill people. And they said, he said in his mind, surely if I put Barabbas here and I put Jesus here and I tell the people to choose, well, Jesus has done nothing wrong. The people are going to say, release Jesus unto us and, and kill Barabbas and I'll be able to get out of this mess. And so Pilate says, what shall we do with Jesus that's called the Christ? And they said, crucify him. And he said, well, what did he do wrong? We don't care, crucify him. And, and it is in a symbolic way, he took a little basin and washed his hands and says, I want you to know that I don't agree with you and I'm washing my hands of this. Now he still went with it, he's still guilty. Let's not absolve him of that. But he said, you can have it that way. And the, the, the people there, the crowd yelled out, let his blood be on us and our children. Oh, that they were crying out for the blood of salvation to be applied on them and their children, not on the blood of condemnation. Verse number 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Understanding, Pilate, understanding that they weren't going to have it, he released unto them. Think of how insane this is. He re they released unto the people. They cried out, let the murderer go. Let the insurrectionists go. Let the guy who caused people's deaths and have it go. We want him dead. So he had to release a wicked murderer into the public and he had to condemn Jesus. And by the way, there's a lot of pictures of salvation right there, right? Barabbas represents us, the vile murderer, insurrectionist, sinner being let go and our, his guilt being put on Christ. So they take Christ, and, and, and it goes by fast, but don't miss this, they scourged him. Now if you say that sounds like encouraged, trust me, it's not. Scourge was beaten, being beaten with the cat of nine tails. They would take a, a leather strap that had a nine different ends of the whip on it. So it was a whip with leather straps, and they would tie in pieces of bone and shards of rock and, and shards of glass and things, pottery, things of that nature. And then they would whip and pull whip and pull and so it would wrap around your back the whipping of the leather would hurt but then the pulling of the shards would tear out ribbons of flesh each time and so when the bible says that it was just scourged and then they let him to be crucified understand this was a beating where the bible says had there been one more whoop he died i don't know if that's the right word one more whip one more whoop but he would have died and I want you to see that as your Savior and my Savior sat there tied up being whipped for no wrong reason which he has done, but for my sin and for your sin. He knew this was coming and yet he still went for our sin. And here we are riding on our self-righteous horses thinking that we're something. We are nothing. He was beaten scourged 
as it whipped, I want you to remember your Savior. Later when we take the element of the broken bread, that's what I want you to see. I don't want you to see some kind of children's cartoon. I want you to see his back being ripped apart because he loves you. And so if you get a little emotional today, it's good. Because this is not just intellectual. He did this for us. As the greatest show of love that anyone could have ever done. He did it for us. He was beaten for our sin. And had he not gone, there would be no way for anyone to get into heaven. None. We'd all be condemned to the lake of fire, which is the second death, where, there, where there's weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, where the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire, where the beast and false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. We'd all been thrown there. So he went through this. As mankind, sinners, whipped him as if they were judge over him. Verse 27, then the soldiers and the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered on him the whole band of soldiers and they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. They took all his clothes off to humiliate him further and they put on a facetious mocking of a scarlet robe. Why? And when they had plated a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hell, king of the Jews. And they spit upon him. And they took the reed, and they smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. The soldiers wouldn't have it just let's execute this man with dignity and honor. No, no, no. They would mock him. They stripped him naked. They put on a scarlet robe as this to, to mock him with that. Then they took a crown of thorns. Now it wasn't there. And I've read different reports on this and conflicting reports. But some have estimated that, some of, that the crown of thorns may very well have been poisonous. And the reason why is because we know in the Isaiah um, rendition of what's to come, the prophecy, it says that his visage was so marred that he was unrecognizable as a man. That when people walked by, they didn't see a man, they saw a grotesque object. And some have suggested that this was due to the fact that as the poison entered in, it would have swelled. Understand, whether that is true or not, we understand the scriptural truth that he was not able to be recognized. They took that crown of thorns and they jammed it on his head. And it would have caused blood to trickle down. Why? Why? What did he do? Then they put a reed in his hand and he closed it. Now remember, he's already been whipped. The, the ribbons of flesh have been torn from his back. He's not standing there like this. He's standing there hardly at all. And they, that's not enough for them. That's not enough. Jam on the thing. Put the thing in his hand. And then begin to verbally mock him. Hell, king of the Jews. Then they began to spit on him. They said, what more of a, of a vile thing can a human being do to another than a spit in his face? And then they smote him. They took the reed and they hit him in the head. We can, we can start gathering. How evil are these people to do this? We can do that. You'd miss the point. Because the point is, this is what he did for you. 
Not what they did to him, but what he did for us. He's God in heaven. In, in the book of Revelation, all of heaven bows down before him. Bible says that if we saw Jesus in his full glory, we'd fall down as dead. And now here, he willingly gives that up for our sin. He willingly gives that up to be tortured. And he hasn't even gotten to the cross yet. We haven't even gotten there. So they led him away to be crucified. Verse 32. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Understand this, I mean, it goes by so quickly, but if you read the synoptic accounts of the, and the Gospels, we understand that uh, Roman execution required a man to carry his own cross, and this is what's meant by take up your cross and follow me. Uh, the man had just been beaten, where the Bible says if he had gotten whipped one more time, he would have died. And now he's just been mocked, hit on the head, spit in the face, derobed, crown of thorns. Carry your own cross. And, and, and what would happen, they would carry the cross beam. There was already another part that would be put there later on, but they'd carry that cross beam, or sometimes it'd be the entire thing. And, and putting that, now think about fat, wooden, non-sanded, non-sanded. We just want to add another element. On his back that's already completely shredded. Now the worst that's ever happened to my back is a really bad sunburn. I'll tell you another time, my mom's back was blistered with second and third degree burns from something, had to get airlifted to a hospital. Her back was like that. And she said when she was in the hospital that every day as the blisters came back, they had to scrape away the blisters and it felt like someone was scraping glass. And yet what happened to Christ was worse. And now carry your own cross. And he couldn't. And so there's a man in the crowd watching because everybody's come to now to the road center to watch the, 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 the processional, the parade of executed criminals make their way up to the place of Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of execution. And there's Jesus. He cannot carry. The other two thieves seem to have no problem. They, they're the ones that have been guilty of crimes they have committed and they don't seem to have been beaten this way. But our Savior was. So they get a man from the crowd and say, come, carry that for him. And the man sits there, and he's not even from the region. And he goes, and he helps him carry. When he gets up there, what they would have begun to do, they see the pain that he's in, and they give him what would be a pain-relieving type of drink. And in his humanity, he's out of it. In his humanity, he is suffering. Understand this, there was no button of deity that Jesus pressed that said, I will feel no pain. He allowed the 100% full effect of his humanity to feel every single ounce of torture. Why? For our sin. And he tasted that pain-relieving drink and spit it and pushed it aside. He would not. He would face the full suffering of it. 
Then the Bible says, and they crucified him. That's an understatement. They would have taken his hands and they would have wrapped straps around and then they would have nailed it. And I understand there's people that say, well, he nailed it here and he nailed it here because here wouldn't have been able to hold it up and here is stronger. Wherever you want him, he was nailed and strapped. And then his legs would have been torqued like this and right through the Achilles. And he would have sat like this. And then they would have dug out a big hole and they would have launched the cross up and it would have, boom, fell down and thudded while the nails caught. Then notice, if you will, they parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him. They took his clothes off. Sometimes this is missed. He is fully naked to be before them in shame. Every bit of physical torture. In the book of Hebrews, I believe it is, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He, for joy, I don't mean to get loud, but for joy he endured but he despised the shame. You know that when you sin and you feel horrible about it and you feel ashamed and you feel embarrassed and you feel the full intensity of shame, he would have felt the full intensity of all people's shame. What must that have felt like? The embarrassment, the grotesque feeling of ugliness and dirtiness after sinning, the worry about well, how this looks and how it portrays, he would have faced all of that but for the joy. He endured. You don't think God loves you? But friend, don't think you're worthy. Please don't. You'll miss everything. So they crucified him, took off his clothes, and they began to gamble them away. Let's cast lots. It's like rolling dice. Who gets this? Who gets this? Uh, I want the shirt. I want the tunic. I want the, the, the socks, you know, whatever, whatever garments they had there. And I understand they're not the same as all of today. But let's, let's do it. Get rid of them all. And then they sat down and they watched him. How much of a sociopath or a psychopath do you have to be to beat someone like this and sit down there and watch? But I dare say, how much of a sociopath or psychopath do we come across as we sit there and we look at Jesus and it doesn't matter? Either we reject his death on the cross or as Christians we get on our high horse of self-righteousness and pious living and we think we're better than everybody else, not remembering what he did. They sat there and they watched. Then they began to mock some more. And they set up uh, uh, over his head the accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. See, what would happen is you, what your crime was would be written on top. His crime was king of the Jews. What they didn't realize is how true it was. The Jews had rejected it. Then there were two other thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. 
And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. So Jesus now is numbered against the accusers, fulfilling the prophecies that have been mentioned already. And two other there. And people would walk by them two thieves, them two rightly condemned. And we know the storyline in the book of Luke where the one thief cries out and says, Remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We know that. That on his deathbed, it seemingly calls on Christ to save him. And with whatever strength is mustered up, he says it. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And here, here comes more mocking. Here comes more ridicule. The people walk by him like this. We thought. They thought. Literally feeble, bloodied, swollen, doesn't look like a man. And people still walking by reviled him. And we know the Bible says this, when reviled, reviled not again. I love that old Christian song. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he died alone for you and me. He sat there on the cross fully suffering. And if Satan could get in his ear, Satan would have cried out, why don't you call him? Why don't you call the angels? But had Jesus did that, we'd all still be lost in our trespasses and sins. So he endured the shame, the ridicule, the mocking externally, internally as he took on our sins, the physical devastation. And understand this about the cross. People didn't die of just pain. Most often a medical description of the cross will give cause of death suffocation. Because what would happen as they were on the cross like this, their body would weaken, their shoulder fibers and muscles and ligaments would begin to tear and they would sink down and they would not be able to breathe and they'd have to pull themselves up and sink back down. And so all the while his body has been broken and his blood is being shed and all of this is happening. He's still got to muster up just enough strength to take a few breaths when he would speak out, and we know there are multiple sayings that he said on the cross, like, I thirst, and, and behold thy mother, and, and into thy, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and uh, today thou shalt be within paradise, and a few others. He would have had to really muster up whatever strength he had, and again, he wasn't pressing any deity button to alleviate the physical destruction that his body was facing. So they began to revile and wag their fingers and heads, and they say this in verse 40, that the, that, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest in three days thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. They began to mock him. If you're really God, then prove it. If you're really God, then come down from the cross. If you're really God, then prove it. And guess what, my friends? He was proven. Because only his death could purchase our souls. Only his death could we be saved. See, if I died for you, it might be a nice gesture, but my death will not purchase anything for you. Maybe even if I saved your life, I died in your place, at best, at best, my death would cause you a few more years of life. But my death could never purchase your eternal life. 
only his. So we move on. Verse 41, likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Even now the religious come on the, and it says the chief priests, the ones that are in charge. And the scribes, the ones that are copying down from one papyri to the other, and they're, they're writing down, they'd be experts in the law. This man thinks he's fulfillment of these prophecies. Prove it to us. If you come down, we'll believe. No, my friend, this once happened with Luke 16. If they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe one come from the dead. Jesus literally was in their face, had taken three and a half years to prove it, and will even spend the next 40 days in post-resurrection, and people will still go on in the blindness of their unbelief. They would not believe he'd come down. But they mock him, they tempt him, they ridicule him, they shame him. And they hear the other criminals start their chatter. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour in this three-hour span, complete darkness. For the Son of God, for God in the flesh, for the King of kings and Lord of lords was taking upon him the fullness of all our sins. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which is to be, say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You can picture in your mind the first time in eternity past or eternity future, it seemingly is that the Lord God the Father turned his back on the Lord God the Son because he was paying for our sin and a holy God, a thrice holy God, holy, 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 a thrice holy God could not stand to look at what was the vile sin. It wasn't that Jesus was forsaken because he was beaten and ugly. He was forsaken because of the intensity of our sin. Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elijah. And straightway one of them, and took a, them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed to give him the drink. The rest said, let us, let be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, which is just a euphemism of he died. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Understand this, this was a phenomenon, this was a supernatural occurrence, for God died that day because of our sins. And the, the temple veil was ripped from the top, not from the bottom, as somebody would be able to grab it. From, from the high heights of the temple, ripped down from there, the rocks broke, earthquake shattered. For our sins. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and that's a weird phenomenon there, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, went to the holy city and appeared unto many. Now with centurion that they were with, and watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Though those people mocked 
and ridiculed and shamed. There were some there that were being drawn in. Some there whose sins were being dealt with. Some there who can taste the love of Christ. And their mind began to apprehend. Their soul began to apprehend. Their faith began to take hold. Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. And among which was Mary Magdalene, the Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. And when the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his own tomb, which he had hewn out in a rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and, and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. God had died. Surely not God the Father, and surely not God the Holy Spirit, but God the Son had died. And at that point, just as in the Old Testament, where they would put the blood as, a, as an atonement, the blood of the Lamb as an offering to pay for the sin, the blood of Jesus was being applied to the mercy seat for our sin his body had been broken now his blood had been shed and laid in the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin and jesus was laid in a tomb and the stone was rolled in and friend the graphic nature of his death could not begin to be understood by words alone but you can Scratch the surface. And again, the important word for our sins. And then we know this. Three days later, the stone will be rolled away. You know what the resurrection proves? That the wrath of God is emptied. That there was no more wrath for those who are in Christ. It had all been dumped out on him. And this he did for us. So as we begin now to enter into this next phase of today's service, why do we go over all this? Why do we talk about it? Because he said, this do in remembrance of me. He died for our sins. Number one, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, today is the day I want you to consider that. And if you would, we would love to help you to call on Jesus to save you. Christian, if you've been like a prodigal son and you're out in the far country wandering, today's the day I want you to hear his love cry out into that journey and bring you home. Come with me, my son. Come live with me again. And if you're born again and you are living for Christ, then I want you to really sit on His words of what He did for our sins that gives us even that right to live for Him. But you have to know how ugly you are. I want you to think about that or those handwriting of ordinances that are against you. The things that only God would know. 
And he knew it and died for you anyway because he loved you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. The Bible says, and now this is important, I want you to understand this and I'll explain it. The Bible says, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. The Bible says there that before these elements are to be taken, there ought to be an examination. This is not to get you not to take it. This is to encourage you to examine your heart. Number one, have you been saved? If you've not been saved, just watch. It's okay. This doesn't save you. Are you under leadership of, of our church? We have the authority kind of only over our, our people. If you're a Christian, you're kind of not living right, then you have two options. In this examination time, confess before the Lord and get right. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've not been living right, confess it before the Lord and be cleansed and then partake. If you have no desire to get right, you have no repentance in your heart to get right, you kind of harbor in sin and you don't care, my recommendation is don't take. It's okay. Still, still think about Jesus. Still think about what he's done. Still, still hold on that. But, but don't, don't take it. The Bible says that some in that church were taking it flippantly. They were like, oh, I'm hungry. Let me, let me eat some. Oh, I'm thirsty. Let me drink some. And, and they didn't really care to honor the Lord in their hearts. And the Bible said that some of them were even caused to be sick by the Lord's judgment over that. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get sick or die. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm saying if you examine yourself before the Lord and he puts on your heart to take it, then take it. But if you don't take it, it doesn't make you a horrible person. You say, I don't know if I'm ready this week. That's okay. But if you are, take. No one's going to police it. No one's going to tell you no. The Bible says let a man examine himself. So if you're not living right or you're not saved, just, just watch. It's okay. If you're not sure, it's okay to watch. If you've kind of not been living right but you want to get right, we're going to give an examination, Stephanie, if you want to come to the piano or the harp, whatever you're going to be playing. There'll be music playing in this examination time. No one's going to get out of the seat. You're all going to sit in your seat and just do some business with the Lord. God, where am I? Is there a sin I need to confess? Have I been born again? And if you confess sin today and it's done, it's done before the Lord. He says, if a man confesses sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse from all unrighteousness. So as the, in just a second, the piano is going to be playing. And I want you to th examine yourself. So let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed. We're gonna, I'll, I'll, you'll know when it's done. I'll, I'll, I'll say something. But I want you just to contemplate now. I want you to just think between you and the Lord.